Hello, I'm Stacey Sherman, host of the Doing CX Right podcast. This show provides actionable insights for leaders like you to improve customer experiences, increase loyalty, and cultivate more meaningful relationships for better results. Everything you hear is based on research, enriched by my case studies, field work, and featured guest interviews. For an extended learning experience, please subscribe to my newsletter at doingcxright.com. Have you wondered what the future holds for customer experience when our customers include both humans and machines? How can businesses excel in this evolving landscape? Today, I'm bringing you Don Shai Benreif, the co-author of When Machines Become Customers and a brilliant analyst at Gartner Research. We're discussing major questions that have been on our minds, such as what's the secret of doing CX right in a world where both humans and machine customers coexist? How can we tap into the multi-trillion dollar opportunities that machine customers represent? What lessons can we learn from companies already preparing for this transformative shift? Don and I provide you answers to these questions, along with the winning formula for marketing and selling to machines and delivering excellent customer service now and into the tech-enabled future. There's so much to uncover, so let's get started. Hello, Don Scheibenreif. How are you today? I am doing great, Stacey. How are you doing today? Fabulous. Well, welcome to the Doing CX Right show. I'm so glad that you are here for multiple reasons. And let's start off with who are you? What do you do for a living? So I am a distinguished analyst for Gartner. Uh, What it means, it doesn't mean I have gray hair. I've been with the company for about 13 (laughs) years. And uh, I cover this intersection between customers and technology. I've had a couple different jobs at Gartner. Uh, right now, I sit in our CRM CX team at Gartner, and I advise CIOs and IT leaders around the world about this intersection between customer experience and technology. Prior to Gartner, I worked for uh, a lot of different companies as a marketer. So I worked for Coca-Cola, the Quaker Oats Company, True Value Hardware Stores, WW Granger. So I bring this mix of marketing skills and customer skills to what I've learned at Gartner, which is all about technology. Mm. Well, Gartner in this very moment has a special place in my heart, not just because I was a customer of Gartner, but my daughter just started her job yeah. out of college at Gartner. So that's great. Big, that's great. big heart to Gartner right now. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, that's that's wonderful to hear. And so and we need, you know, a good influx of young people into our business yeah. because it can't just be us old, old farts talking about <laughs> stuff. So it's all good. <laughs> yes. So what triggered you to laser in on technology and especially as it relates to customer experience? So about eight years ago, I was asked to do a presentation by our chief of research, Chris Howard, about what happens when an IoT device becomes a customer. And at that time, that's when Internet of Things research was really starting to spin up. So I just ran with that idea um, did a presentation in, at our main conference in Florida, filled up a room with 800 people, and that led us down the path to what today exists are dozens of research notes, presentations, webinars, podcasts, and finally a book. Um, but it was this really interesting manifestation of this intersection between customers and technology that really fascinated me. Mm. And one more question from a personal perspective, leadership. Yeah. What 
What's the best advice that you've been given or that you might give to this Gen Z coming into the workforce? Well, when I was at the Coca-Cola company, I received extensive training in leadership. And their philosophy, which I still believe exists today, is the idea of servant leadership, which my job as a leader is to serve those who work for me or with me, not the other way around. And I've, I've lived that for almost my entire career. Uh, so that's my best advice, is that if you're a leader, think more about the people you're serving. How can I help them versus what's, what's in it for me? Love that. So this is the Doing CX Right show. Let me ask you, first of all, what does that mean to you? What is doing customer experience right? Well, you know, listening to some of your other podcasts and seeing some of the work that you've done for us at Gartner, doing CX right is listening to customers, acting with empathy, um, being clear about what your strategy is, having accountability in place, having a culture of customer centricity. These are all the things that we talk about at Gartner on a regular basis. So doing it right is really following the playbook, which oddly enough is very intuitive. It's very human. So that's how we think about it. Mm. Now, you're bringing a fascinating slant to the meaning of customer experience, which is when machines become customers, as your book title is about, what does that mean? So basically, what we have found in our research is that machines uh, backed up by intelligent systems are taking on the behaviors of human customers. If you think about what we do as human customers, obviously we buy things, but we also receive information from people trying to sell to us. We report disputes, we ask for service, we negotiate, we write reviews. And what we found is examples of machines that do one or more of these activities. And that led us to believe that, well, you know, with as advanced as technology is becoming, machines will act on our behalf. And in fact, they will become customers. And that got us started down the path that eventually led to the book itself. Mm. I actually saw a company that offers consumers the ability to go call customer service and negotiate their bill. Yeah, yeah. It's an example we actually talk about in the book. Um, We published in January of of January 3rd, 2023. And literally two weeks after that, the whole chat GPT started exploding into the public consciousness. So we actually didn't plan for it, but we ended up writing, we just published our second edition of the book just a few weeks ago on Amazon. But one of the examples we cite is a company called Do Not Pay, which is billed as the first kind of AI legal service. And one of the services that it offers is it helps you renegotiate your bills. And in one instance, one of the engineers at Do Not Pay set up ChatGPT to negotiate with Comcast and ended up lowering his broadband bill, not once, but he did it again. And that was, uh, I mean, and it was all chat so that the, the person at Comcast did not know they were chatting with the machine. But that was kind of an eye-opener for us, that these machines actually sound like us and can, and can do more for us. What a great example of how machines are becoming our, I guess, part of us and the way we work and operate. How in that example then do you train customer service agents when they're now having to deal with the robots instead of humans on the other end? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I don't know that we have a clear answer for that, but there has to be some way to detect whether it is a machine or a human that's talking to you via chat. 
And I'm not sure exactly how that's going to happen. Maybe there's some filters that can detect it. But he was able to prove through that example that it, that it was basically seamless because these machines have perfect grammar. If you've ever used ChatGPT, the grammar is perfect. So you actually do feel like you're talking to them. So that to me is going to be a very interesting challenge for customer service, but it just means they have to prepare for it. And in some cases, Stacy, maybe they have their own version of ChatGPT that is negotiating with some other version of it. Uh, that's not unlike today's machine-to-machine negotiation on Wall Street. Yes, and... I think the opportunity is for contact center managers to actually embrace the technology in training. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, Uma Chala, who is one of my colleagues, he's been writing about machine customers and customer service. And he talks about this all the time, is that there's going to have to be a new level of training with human customer service agents, um, but then also eventually um, being able to bring online bots customer service, not today's chatbots, because those are very limited in scope, but ones that are a little bit more advanced. That, that's what you see as the opportunity. Oh, definitely. Also, I am aware of companies, one in particular that I've been uh, partnering with is how the technology, the machines can be used for agents to onboard and mock customer conversations oh, before right before they get onto a real call with the, yeah. with their customer that's very interesting stacy um i think the the opportunity for simulation you're is right on for training purposes it's pretty fantastic um there's actually one example we came across i don't don't remember the name of it but some the possibility of creating focus groups with your customers only through ai where the ai is simulating your customers based on how they've been trained, all the, the data and the voice and all that kind of stuff. So the opportunity to use this technology and more than just service, but for training and for even predicting behavior to me is, is super, super interesting. Yes. Now, we talked about empathy before. How does that come into play? Is that jeopardized with, when machines become customers? So we have to change our mindset about what a machine customer is. We cannot treat them like a human being because machines don't have emotion. They won't decide to buy your product because you happen to use a font or the color purple and maybe Beyonce is your spokesperson or Taylor Swift. They don't care. They want to know what information you have available. Is it current? Is it accurate? Uh, is it speedy? Do I get it quickly? Because when a machine's buying from you, and they go to your website, they won't care about all the extraneous stuff. They just want the information. In fact, we're, we've made a prediction that by in a few years, about 20% of commercial websites will be obsolete because machines will be accessing them versus humans. So the biggest message I've been, I've been ta- talking to clients about is that um, machines don't have emotion. So your techniques for marketing and sales and service won't work. They don't care. Uh, it's all about the facts and the data and the rules. That, to me, is going to be the interesting shift in all those professions. Mm. What about the fear that people are having that these machines not only are becoming customers, but that they're replacing the employees? What do you say to those people fearful? So Gartner has been doing a lot of work on this. And our prediction, I think by 2028, that there will be a net zero impact to jobs, which means that some jobs Mm -hmm. will go away but other jobs will be created. 
one of the things that we talk about and others talk about is you, you people won't lose their job to an AI. They might lose their job to somebody, a human who knows how to use AI, which is really what we've been talking about. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fear-mongering out there, to be honest with you, Stacey. We, we, we're not seeing that right now. We're not seeing huge layoffs across sectors. We are seeing people are experimenting. They're trying to figure out how the best way to use it. And, and they're, frankly, they're experiencing only modest productivity gains right now. Not So the doomsayers are going to say what the doomsayers are going to say. But for, from our perspective, we're not seeing that just yet. But it will, it will impact all of our jobs, my own included. Mm. When it comes to marketing and selling, mm-hmm. you've written about that. You said you can't take machines to dinner and they won't f- fall for your advertising, but they might help you grow your market share. Right. <laughs> Explain that. Love that. So it's, it's basically, again, going back to the premise that marketing or selling to a machine is different than selling to a human. It's going to be much more programmatic. Uh, Andrew Frank at Gartner has done a lot of work. Nicole Green's done a lot of work in this area about um, a lot of the programmatic advertising today, for example, is about, you know, working with machines to place advertising. So that same principle will extend to marketing and sales. The example I like to use in sales is your salesperson may end up looking more like a data scientist than a relationship-based seller because their job is to crack the algorithm so that your product lands in the basket of the customer versus somebody else's. Again, a very different way of thinking about sales. The same will be true of marketing. What do I have to do to get your Custobot, which is our informal name for a machine customer, to buy my product because it's acting as an agent for you? So a lot more data, uh, projections, predictions, analytics than you know the latest spokesperson or other types of gimmicks that marketers use today. Mm. People are very focused on case studies, what they can learn from what others are doing well and what they're not doing right, because that's learnings too. When you think about the companies that you analyze and even for your book, the research, does any come to mind how they are focusing on that machine as a customer and how are they... What's a common problem and solution and and outcome of that? Yeah. So we interviewed um, the folks at HP extensively for the book. Uh, We've been using HP Instant Ink as an example for several years now. It's really, in our research, the first scaled version of a machine customer. So HP is actually manufacturing its own customers when you connect your printer to the HP Instant Ink service. And what was interesting is when we were interviewing the leaders of that division, They said that it started with a simple insight. So you talk about doing CX right. Part of CX is listening to customers and understanding what they're going through, their jobs to be done. They found that people run out of ink at the worst possible times, whether they're printing a project for their kid's school or they have a presentation they're going to get or whatever. We've all been in those situations. I certainly have. That's what they focused on. They focused on that simple insight. And HP recently celebrated 10 years of the HP Instant Ink service They told us they have 11 million subscribers and they just added paper to the mix, the service. And it's basically the way it works is that the printer, when it's connected to the internet, it has your credit card. You've authorized it to buy on your behalf. When the ink is running too low, and now when the paper is running too low, it will actually trigger a reorder so that ink shows up at your doorstep before you run out. To me, it's a very elegant solution to a very simple problem but they are basically using machines to be the customer. 
And whenever we explain that example, people say, okay, yeah, I, I get that. And then we have, we have dozens more. Mm, I like that. And that's just really emphasizing personalization. Mm-hmm. Predicting future behaviors and solving for them up front. Yeah, and I think, you know, right now, HP, you can only buy ink from HP, which is their choice, and it's their, their prerogative to do that. But what if the printer could buy ink from anybody? Or what if the printer could say, you know what, you, you don't need this, this paper, you actually need this type of paper based on what you're doing. Uh, and maybe you need uh, some other things to complement your printing jobs, whatever that looks like. But when the machine starts to observe your behavior, then we're setting it up to basically recommend other types of services and goods that you could purchase. That to me is that next level of the, what we call a machine as a bound customer to a machine as an adaptable, where it's adapting to your behaviors and trying to help meet your needs. Mm. What's another example from your research that companies might learn from and prepare for? Yeah. So I'd say uh, another one is Walmart. They actually work with a company called Pactum, and this was in the Harvard Business Review a few months ago. They actually, Pactum is an AI-powered negotiation platform. So Walmart uses Pactum to negotiate with its suppliers. And what I mean by suppliers, these are the people that supply it with materials to operate the store, not to sell stuff. So things like shopping carts and lighting, safety supplies, all that kind of stuff. What they reported is that uh, the majority of suppliers felt that they received a win-win outcome by negotiating with Walmart through that negotiation platform. To me, that was a very important step in how um, machines can help negotiate and, and be able to broker win-win agreements. So imagine if you're trying to buy something and you're trying to sell to an algorithm, which Unilever admitted to us, or the big packaged goods manufacturer, they told us, we're selling to an algorithm. So we have to have the right skills to be able to do that. Those are, the, those are some other examples, I think, that are super interesting about not just marketers, and, but it's B2B and, and working with different types of suppliers. Mm. Are there risks that we need to be aware of? And how do we handle that uh, with machines becoming customers? Oh, certainly. We actually have a whole chapter in the book about it because um, there's, uh, we've, we've been able to document circumstances where machines have gone bad acting on behalf of a human being. One of the examples that we came across was a manufacturer of garage door openers that are internet enabled. And somebody had posted, a user had posted a very negative review about the, the uh, garage door opener. So one of the engineers actually bricked the garage door opener so the person could not open their garage. So mm-hmm. that's an example of a bad actor using the machine to do bad things. So that, we're always going to have a risk. Anything that can be connected to the internet can be hacked. So that's, that happens today. But there may be unintended consequences. Maybe a machine gets conflicting sets of orders or rules and does something different than maybe than what was intended. So we're very conscious of the dark side, but we think those are mostly exceptions rather than the rule. But it does speak to the fear comment that you made earlier. People sometimes are just not willing to, to delegate to a machine certain tasks. Mm. Well, I also think that we have to be mindful of using the machines to free up time. Mm-hmm especially our contact center or call center agents because they're on the phone, you know, in real time 
trying to help the customer working through multiple screens, mm-hmm. trying to find the information, right? So I think, what, what do you say to the managers of those yeah. talent, how to save time? I would say, I mean, like any type of process improvement initiative, what's causing friction in a process? What you're describing, Stacey, is what we would call swivel chair integration, which I have to swivel and pivot between different systems to get something done. That clearly mm-hmm. is a problem. And that's probably usually a function of somebody's technical debt. So I, I would say to a manager, Gartner covers all the contact center platforms out there. There's some really interesting developments that we're seeing in terms of using generative AI and AI in general to be able to make the contact center agents' jobs a little bit easier. It may be time to abandon some of the old stuff and start to look mm-hmm. at some of the new stuff and see what it can do. But uh, yeah, I, I think many of our clients would say that that's a problem. I also, having worked in a BPO and and contact centers too, that technology can help in qualifying the people you onboard because if they don't have the fundamentals to use a keyboard, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? You could rule them out or or figure out the the segment you need or who needs coaching. Have you seen that before? Yeah, we, we just saw that Gartner, they, we, the vendors, the technology vendors will brief us on some of the developments in their products. And I actually did see an example, I can't say who, but I, can, I did see an example of that, that there is a module to, for interviewing where you are kind of listing what skills you need in a, for example, a contact center agent, and then the AI will conduct the interview or, or some type of an assessment. I, I haven't seen it fully in demonstration yet, but you can imagine the potential is there you know, personally, it's kind of scary. I don't know if I want a machine assessing me or interviewing me because part of it, you know, that there has to be some human connection. But as part of the qualification process, why not? If it saves you time and money and prevents you from hiring the wrong people, then I think it's fair game. Yes, although it's also scary that the AI is deciding which resumes get through yeah. to HR. Yeah. And pro cons uh, to to remove bias, but at the same time, you'll you'll miss somebody really great. Well, as somebody who was out of work in both recessions in two thousand and two and two thousand and ten, good old fashioned networking is always, yeah. I think, the order of the day. I mean, yes, resumes are going to get screened, but if you don't do the networking stuff, it's going to be very difficult. Which is what I tell to some of the younger people that I mentor. Oh, absolutely. Young and older, seasoned, I should say. Yeah. Uh, Use your network. And that does not, the AI doesn't replace that. It doesn't. No, not at all. I think one of the things you you mentioned earlier, Stacey, is this, this human machine connection. You know, we see machines as tools, but they are eventually becoming our teammates and now becoming our customers. And part of our job is we have to adapt. We have to find out where the opportunities are. Uh, you could be, you could sit on the sidelines or you could start to investigate. And the whole point of the book was we're just raising the question. We want you to think about it. We want you to maybe discuss it in your strategic planning. We want you to do scenarios. Because if you don't, um, it could be like a lot of companies that missed digital commerce 20, 25 years ago. They sat on the sidelines and they are still catching up. We don't want people to do that. We want people to say, this is a possibility, a strong possibility. It's already happening today. Why not learn more about it and try to do something? 
Mm. So for companies and leaders listening who don't have much budget, mm-hmm. whether they're entrepreneurs, m- mid-sized, large, what's your advice to them? What can they do right now to get ahead, to prepare, to win in the future, knowing that machines are becoming customers rapidly? So the first thing and the number one thing is make sure your digital commerce website is exceptional. The APIs are strong. The data is available. It's fast. People can transact with you. Because if a machine is going to do business with you, the first place they're going to go is your digital commerce site. And if it doesn't have what you need, they're just going to move to the next one. It's nothing personal. They're just following rules and, and, and they have their shopping list. So that really is the first thing you can do. And a lot of companies are behind on digital commerce, even most, you know, even B2B organizations. So mm-hmm. really investing in digital commerce. And Sandy Shun, who's one of my colleagues in Shanghai, she talks a lot about that. We call it machine commerce. They need something different than what exists today. So that's the first step. I'd say the second step, Stacey, is decide, you know, um, do any of your customers, are they starting to use machines or could they? like Walmart's doing, or using AI negotiation negotiation software, and then how do you respond? If you make things, it's fairly straightforward. You know, if you make an autonomous lawnmower or a toothbrush or a piece of factory equipment, those can already be instrumented. Are you doing anything with that? Are you offering the opportunity to sell service and supplies? Those are the two areas I'd say, either you're going to sell to them or you're going to make them and have other people buy from you. We, we just, uh, we're, we're going to be publishing some work on that later this year. And we also cover it in the book. But there are some definite paths, but it's not for everybody. Uh, but if you're interested in finding out what the new growth vector is in the, the latter part of this decade, this would be one to explore. Mm. And I imagine there's going to be a book when machines become employees. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, already, it's already happening. You know, if you think about Microsoft Copilot and Google Workspace, that really is a machine as a teammate. They are going to be assisting us as we do our job. But yeah, I'd say, you know, organizations who are selling to machines, they will probably have to have their own instance of seller bots to sell to other machines. So that is a very real possibility. Yeah, and I love how you mentioned, which is a, a nice uh, play here for listeners, is to check out. I had a product manager from Microsoft uh, who led Copilot. So it's a nice compliment to this conversation. As we are concluding, uh, last questions, which is if I had tons of CEOs and leaders in my room right now, what would you say? What's that one key takeaway you want them to remember? Well, Stacey, I would say that there are literally trillions of dollars at stake uh, in our estimate. Um, CEOs, uh, when we talk to them, they say that 15 to 20% of their revenue will come from machines by the year 2030. Even if it's half mm. of that, it's still, we're still talking trillions of dollars. So my message to CEOs is you have to prepare for a world where your best customers may not be human. And it's so foreign in my mind, and yet Mm -hmm. I see it and feel it. And it's exciting and scary. What a paradox. It very much is, yeah. It It is kind of scary. But look at our lives today, how we use Alexa and Siri, and we have conversations with them, and they do stuff for us. 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. We were like, what is this? And I'm not using this. It's inaccurate. 
But 10 yeah. years later, we're, it's, we, some people can't live without it. So to me, this will be a little bit like that curve. Yeah. Well, when I think about the past and the future, my question for you, Don, is if you could go back to your younger 20-year-old self based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger you? I probably would have gotten a degree in artificial intelligence, I think. <laughs> Did that even I, exist? <laughs> well, it, I, you know what? Or, or computer science. I was just having yeah. a conversation with a friend the other day. I love what I do. Don't get me wrong. But you know, if you know how much money those people make today, it's pretty cool. I, I think uh, I, that might have been a, a possible path. I don't know. Who knows? Mm. But uh, I don't think about that too much. But if I had to, I would say be open to getting more involved in technology. Because at the time I was in marketing and I could have taken a technology path too. But I, regardless, I, I love where I ended up. So I'm, I'm good. And what's the next season for you? Obviously there's something with technology. What, what do you vision? So at Gartner, we're going to continue to build out this idea of machine customers, um, build on the research, build on the book, more case examples, more how-to, the technology architecture, the vendors. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done. So that will keep me quite busy for the next few years. Absolutely. And, oh my gosh, I don't want the time to end. So much good <laughs> content. I, I've come well, to the end Well, you'll have to have here. me back then. You'll have to have me back again in the future. Yes, yes, because there's so much we didn't get to tap into. So thank you for being here. I appreciate you, all your insights. And may everyone start thinking, planning, and doing CX right with machines as customers. We cannot ignore that. Great. Thank you so much, Stacey. We really appreciate this opportunity. My co-author, Mark Reschino, and myself are grateful uh, for having us on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacy Sherman, Doing CX Right.